evening, Paradigm. If you have a copy of God's Word, won't you find the book of Colossians? The book of Colossians. Hey, if you're just now joining us uh, in the study of Colossians, we are um, live on what's called the YouVersion Bible app. And so maybe you have a, a smartphone, you can go to the App Store, uh, download YouVersion Bible app, and then if you navigate that, we actually have all the notes digitally available to you guys uh, through that. And so you would go to the bottom right hand of your screen, and there's these three lines that say more. You would click more. Then you would go to events, and then you click Paradigm. And so we want to invite you uh, to chime in and take notes that way, or you just go old school fashion. I mean, old fashioned, old school. Get a journal and a pen, and you do your thing. And so we want to. We want you to be able to access what God is teaching you, so that you can take something with you, and so that you can begin to chew and to meditate on what God is speaking to you in this room. Amen. Amen. All right, thank you. Hey, well, I am so excited you made the choice to be here. Uh, my name is Chad. I have the privilege of being one of the young adult pastors here on staff. And, um, and we, are, we are going to tie a bow on this series that we've just simply called Colossians. And we've been walking through Colossians verse by verse, and it's been an incredible journey. But if you're just now joining us, man, we want to invite you also to tap into our podcast. And you can get caught up, and that's a great thing to listen to while you're getting ready in the morning or while you're headed down the road, and you can begin to get God. God's word with you anywhere that you go and begin to allow the word of God to shape you and to mold you into the man or the woman of God that he has created you to be. And so if you have not caught up with what's happening in the book of Colossians, get it on the podcast. Well, um, you do need to be careful who you invite, to who you invite over your house uh, to study the Bible with you because you never know what will happen. And it was 2002 when I was invited by a man named Terry over to his house to study the Bible. And it was a season in my life, I was um, at, on the tail end, I was a senior in high school and on the tail end of that season of my life and, and I was trying to make some changes, you know, like a, maybe some of you here tonight. And, and so where do people in the South especially go when they're trying to change some things, they, they go to church. And so I'm from Texas, if you don't know that. And so I was living in Texas in Tyler. And, and so I decided to go to the church, and then I just picked the biggest church in town. And so I roll into this church because I'm trying to make some changes, but I'm not really trying to change too much. You know what I'm saying? Like that's some of you tonight. Like you want to get some things right, but, you know, I still got mine on the side type thing. And that's kind of where I was. I was a runaway, if you will, from God. I was trying to play, um, you know, like I need God on Sunday, but then I was still kind of running away from the, those areas of my life where I didn't want him to speak into them. And so I found myself in this church, and I was going to what we called Sunday school back in the day, kind of like a small group. And I was invited by this man, Terry. He, he began to pursue me and, and invite me to um, this Bible study that he did. And he was persistent, man. He was like, hey, we do this Bible study called Bible Buddies. I'm like, oh, man. Bible buddies? Like, no, like, I'm busy. Let me just say that. But he was persistent with his pursuit, and eventually I started going to this Bible study that he did at his house. And, and, and what happened at that Bible study, it wasn't like it was magical. Like, I wouldn't say that I showed up at this guy's house and then my life was forever changed that night. It wasn't this mystical, weird experience, but something did take place as I began to pursue the Lord in this man's house with some other men my age. That God began to propel me to do some things, and, and God changed the, tra the trajectory, and he changed the, the direction of my life through that. And, and what happened in that, in that Bible study is that he began to change some things in me in the way that I thought as this man was persistent, and he pursued me. And I share that with you tonight because we're going to be looking at this incredible story 
maybe one of the most fascinating stories about a runaway and we're going to look at his past, and we're going to see that he was a fugitive, and we're going to see how Jesus pursued him through some men. And we're also going to see that God began to propel this runaway to do some hard things and make some things right. And ultimately, God began to promote his plan through this guy's life in a profound way. That tonight, the story, we're going to look at a lot of people, but we're going to focus in on one man in particular. And we're going to see this runaway slave who would eventually become the pastor of the most influential church in the Roman Empire. And so I want you to see tonight that Jesus has a response to the runaway. But before we get there, i got a question for you. I want you to think real quick. Who's the person that you least expect to come to a relationship with Jesus? Okay, who's that person? Like, if they came into a relationship with Jesus, you would, like, your mind would be blown. Okay, I want you to think about that person real quick. And then I want to have a follow-up question. Do you even believe that Jesus could grab a hold of their heart? And tonight, we're going to look at Jesus' response to the runaway. And before we leave tonight, I hope that you would see that Jesus pursues the runaway. That he propels the runaway so that he can promote his plan in the runaway's life. But before we get there, I want to turn your attention to Colossians chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse 6. And Paul, he's about to give this like shout-out list to all these people that he's done ministry with. And, uh, and, and so he, there's a lot of names. And so y'all bear with me real quick. And oftentimes we come to these parts of the Bible and we're like, who are all these people? You know, it's kind of like reading the, the yellow pages, if you know what that is, or looking on whitepages.com. Anyway, it's kind of like, you know, that sort of thing. And, and you really don't know. But let me just kind of run through them and let's see what God has to say to us about one man in particular. But I want to give a shout-out to these people that Paul did. Colossians 4, starting in verse 6. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your heart. So Tychicus is one of Paul's boys. Remember, Paul is in a Roman prison, and he's, on, he's like on house arrest, all right, because he had been preaching the gospel, and Paul, he's like the greatest theologian of Christianity. He had been preaching the gospel in the Roman Empire from town to town. Well, they didn't like that, they, and so they began to persecute him, ultimately imprison him, and so he's in Rome writing this letter, and he's giving a shout-out to Tychicus. Tychicus and one other guy named Onesimus, who we'll find out about in just a second, they delivered four very important letters, three of which we have recorded in our Bible. A letter to the church at Ephesus, a letter to the church at Colossae that we've been studying, a letter to a man named Philemon, and a letter to the, to the church at Laodicea, which we don't know about. Verse 9, he's sending Tychicus with Onesimus. Y'all could circle Onesimus' name. We're going to come back to that, brother. He says he's a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. What he's saying is that Onesimus is from your hometown. He's a Colossian. He says, they will make known to you all the things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, he greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you've received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Now, Paul had to say that because Mark, this guy uh, that, that uh, Paul's talking about here, they, they had a little tiff. They had a little issue, okay? So Paul is like this gregarious entrepreneur. I'm going to take the gospel to the entire world. And on his first missionary journey, Mark decided it got a little too tough. And so he wanted to quit. And so round two, we find this out in the book of Acts. Mark wants to go with Paul on his next missionary journey. And Paul says, nah, you're too weak, Mark. And he's like, what do you mean, no? He's like, no, you cannot go with me, Mark. You haven't been through roundabout, and you're not having spiritual conversation. I'm just kidding. Anyway, he looks at Mark. He's like, no, you can't do this. And, and, and so Paul looks at Barnabas and a guy named Silas, and he says, all right, let's go. And, and Barnabas is like, hold up, man. His name's like son of encouragement. He's like the divine encourager. He's like, man, hey, 
Paul, for real, Mark's my cousin. And so how about we do this? How about you and Silas, y'all go do y'all's missionary journey, and, and Mark and I, we're going to go do our deal. But what Paul is saying here towards the end of his ministry, him and Mark had reconciled. And so he's telling them, hey, Mark, is, you know, he's, he's the cousin of Barnabas. They greet you, and, and if he go, comes to you, like, like, help him out, all right? We're good now. It's all good. And he says, and Jesus, who's called Justice, because we just need to, you know, add a, a title to that brother because we don't want to confuse him with, you know, Jesus, all right, the king. And he says this, these are my fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision, and they've proved to be a comfort to me. That phrase of the circumcision, he said, hey, they're Jewish people. And Jews were known by that particular mark, circumcision. And so Paul is saying, hey, these are great people. He goes on in verse 12. And he says, Epaphras, who's one of you, a Colossian, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, also laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear, for I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea, and those in Herapolis. So if you remember, Josiah kicked off the, the study in Colossians, and he said that Paul is imprisoned to empowerment. And so Paul met this guy, Epaphras, in a town called Ephesus, sends Epaphras home to Colossae, and Epaphras begins the church that we, we have been studying about over the last few weeks. And so he's like, man, this guy, Epaphras, like he's giving him a shout out. He's saying, man, you don't know how much Epaphras loves you guys. He is such a great man of God, and he loves you so much, and he's giving shout out to that. And he says, I want you to look at this map real quick so you can kind of see where we're at. And so Paul is way over there on the far left in Rome. He's having these conversations and he's sending people to Colossae right under the big word that says Galatia in Asia. Okay, this is modern day Turkey. And he's giving a shout out to these people. And so he met Epaphras in Ephesus and then Epaphras went back to Colossae, started the church that we've been hollering at over the last few weeks. Verse 14, he says this, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas, they greet you. Now Luke is the guy that wrote the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts. Luke was a physician, and so you don't have to be, you don't have to think that Christians are dumb because Luke was a doctor, he was an MD, all right? And that brother was writing some things so that we would know. And then he gives a shout out to Demas, but what you need to know about Demas is that Demas, he got in love with the world. We find that out in 2 Timothy. So so don't be a Demas. Demas isn't your hero. Don't name your kid Demas. There's a reason why you're not named Demas, hopefully. And he says in verse 15, greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church that is in his house. Verse 16, now when this epistle is read among you, see that it's read also in the church of the Laodiceans. And that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. That's what I mentioned earlier. And say to Archippus, who is the son of the people who house the church in Colossae, Say, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Finally, he says this in verse 18, this salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains, grace be with you, amen. And so Paul, he takes the pen in hand and he, he writes down this final verse because or up until this point, maybe Tychicus or maybe someone else has been transcribing this letter, then he grabs the pen and he authenticates the authority of the letter. But tonight I want to tell you about a particular man that we just read about. And I want to tease his story out. And my hope is that you will find your story written into this man's story. And it's an amazing story of this fugitive who becomes a pastor someday. If you're taking notes tonight, write this down. Jesus pursues the runaway. Jesus pursues the runaway. This guy Onesimus, he didn't know it, but his story both begins and ends in a town called Ephesus. 
which I showed you earlier. Ephesus is like the San Diego of our day, all right? So Ephesus was this beach town, a lot of activity, a lot of nightlife, a lot of fun that, that took place there. And in the story of Onesimus, it begins and ends in a town called Ephesus. Paul was in Ephesus doing ministry when he met a man named Epaphras and a man named Philemon. When he met these men, he began to share with them, began to share with them the gospel. Paul, he was, man, he was fired up about the gospel. He was fired up about the message of Jesus, that, that Jesus had come, the Son of God had come, lived a sinless life, died a sinner's death on the cross. And when he met Epaphras and he met Philemon, he said, and he has a plan for your life. And he wants to change you from the inside out. You don't have to do anything in order to have a right relationship with Jesus other than confess with your mouth that he's Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And when he shared the message of the gospel with Epaphras and Philemon, they believed, they put their faith in Jesus. Paul leaves Ephesus, so does Epaphras and Philemon, and they go back to Colossae. Paul ends up in a Roman prison. But Philemon and Epaphras, they begin a church in, in Colossae. Now, a particular man that worked for Philemon is a man named Onesimus, and we don't know exactly when it took place, but at some point in his life, Onesimus decided to embezzle from the corporation. He was an indentured servant to Philemon, and he decided to steal money from Philemon, and he goes to the place where he thinks that he can live in anonymity and not be punished for the crime that he committed. And so he goes to the New York City of the day, Rome. And he gets to Rome, and he thinks that he can just get away with everything, and no, no one's going to know who he is. And serendipitously, he meets a man in Rome named Paul. Paul begins to share the gospel with Onesimus. He says, there's a God that loves you. You're worse off than you want to admit, but you're more loved than you ever thought. And if you place your faith and trust in Jesus, then he will save you. He said, Onesimus, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate yourself spiritually? A 4. Okay, you want to be a 10. How do you get to a 10? He said, hey, Onesimus, do you have a faith? And he began to share the gospel with Onesimus. Onesimus accepts Jesus and begins to follow him. We see that Jesus pursues the runaway, the fugitive, the criminal called Onesimus. And just because maybe you're here tonight and you're a runaway doesn't make you too far away from Jesus. And what I want you to see tonight is that, that there are no prerequisites to a relationship with Jesus. I was talking with a young adult a few weeks ago, and we were talking about the gospel. We were talking about this story, and, and I remember asking him, hey, man, what do you think you need to do in order to be saved? He said, man, I think I need to stop uh, cussing or stop smoking or, or quit going to the club or, or whatever. I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was something like that. And I was like, man, thank you so much for your honesty, but, but you're wrong. He's like, what do you mean? That, that kind of makes sense. And I'm like, bro, the gospel says you don't do anything to get saved. The, 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 the word of God says this in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, not if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you quit smoking, that you'll be saved. Not if you confess with your mouth and that Jesus is Lord and, and, and you stop um, going to the, the club that you will be saved. It says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, you surrender your heart over to him, you will be saved. For, for the, the mouth one confesses, but with the heart one believes. That there are no prerequisites to the gospel. That Jesus is inviting some of you tonight just to come as you are. If you don't know Jesus, he's, he's saying, hey, come to me just as you are. That Jesus pursues the runaway. And the story of Onesimus is one of a man who stole and took what didn't belong to him. 
And he turned his back on his master so that he could live for himself. You ever been there before? Like, like you ever just tried to run away from your responsibility? Like maybe adulting got a little, got a little tough. Maybe you got to college and you were like, freedom, you know, and so you started getting turned every weekend or every Thursday or every night, whatever it was, you know. And, or, or maybe you, you got out of college and you worked really hard and then you started making some money and you were like, man, I can, I can afford some things now. And, and, and you, just, you just wanted to run away. You just wanted some relief. You just wanted to do you for a little while. That's Onesimus. That, that he's running away and he's taking this money. He's going and he's living for himself in a fun place. And that's where some of you are at tonight. But the fun wears off. And Onesimus heard the gospel, and his story is a story of a man who stole some things that were not his, that rebelled from his master and lived for himself. And listen, this is our story. We are all Onesimus. Martin Luther, he says this, a great theologian from years past, he says that we are all God's Onesimi. That we have rebelled from our master. We have rebelled from the lover of our soul. And we've ran from him. Earlier I asked you, who would you be most surprised if they came to Jesus? Right? Y'all remember that question? The answer should be me. Everyone's answer to that question. Who are you most surprised? Or who, who is the last person you would think that would come to Jesus? The answer should be me, a personal me. You. See, I think some of us are here tonight and we're like, well, you know, God didn't really have to flex that much to get me saved. But this brother, <laughs> he gonna have to, you're going to have to work to that brother. And you're missing the point. See, we need to adopt the anthem of the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest Christians in history. And he says, I'm the chief of sinners. That the person that you should be most surprised that came to Christ is you. Because listen, you know you better than anybody else. And so you should be able to go to people and say, because Jesus, if you know Jesus, because Jesus pursued me in my mess, because he changed my heart, he could save anybody. And I'm telling you that we are Onesimus. We are the runaway that rebelled. And then Jesus, he pursued the runaway, and he pursued him relentlessly. The word of God tells us, Jesus said that, that God is like a shepherd who had a hundred sheep, lost one. And he went after that lost sheep until he found him. And when he found him, he picked him up. He didn't condemn the sheep, but he began to celebrate. And it says in that passage that Jesus looks at the people that he's talking to and he says, there's more joy in heaven over one person who was lost that is now saved because the God of the heavens pursued that person, rescued that person, and the heavens erupt in a celebration. See, Jesus pursues the runaway. He doesn't shout the runaway down. He pursues him. Uh, this weekend, it's fall, right? Y'all excited about that? It's fall season, and what a great weekend. And so Saturday was amazing. If you didn't get to get outside Saturday, man, you missed out. So we were outside on Saturday with my family, and I told you I've got three little girls, and the youngest girl, she's about, you know, 18 months, almost two years old, and we're in this mode where she likes to run away from daddy. And so we're in the backyard, and we have some land right behind us that a school owns, and the gate's wide open, and so she kind of looks at me like, you know, she kind of minion talks, you know, and, and she takes off running, you know, kind of doing her little thing. And, and then she gets out there, and she passes the threshold of the gate, and she's in the open pasture, and she just kind of looks back. And she's, she's waiting for me to pursue her. She's waiting for me to run her down. And listen, in that moment, I'm not like, get back over here. 
No, I take off running after my girl, and I pick her up, and it's this glorious reunion, and then I bring her back in. And that's a picture of God running after us. He doesn't shout us down. He runs after us, and he calls us to himself, and he picks us up. And it's a beautiful picture of the Father who is in heaven who runs after the runaway. And he picks us up because, listen, spiritually we're helpless. We, we cannot save ourselves. There's nothing that we can do that can, that can make right the fact that we've rebelled and ran away from our Father. Paul, he says it like this in Romans 5, he says, we were utterly helpless, excuse me, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time, and he died for sinners. So some of you may ask, if you've never seen this before, why did Christ have to die? Well, Paul goes on and he says this, he says that while we were helpless, Christ died. He says it like this in Romans 5, 8, he says, but God demonstrated his love, y'all say love, he demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so what Paul is trying to say is that we were helpless, lost in our sin, that Jesus ran towards us. And he demonstrated his love so that we would not be able to question, nor could we deny his overwhelming love for us. Jesus pursues the runaway God runs after us. He doesn't wait for us to get it all together. He runs after the runaway. He pursues the rebel. He follows the fugitive. And listen, you are never beyond the grace of God. Some of you may say, well, man, you don't know what I've done. I don't even know why I'm here tonight. I'm so angry at God. or I'm so just, man, I'm just so messed up in life. You don't know what I've done. I don't know that God could accept me. And if you're saying, man, you don't know what I've done, I would say you don't know what God's done. And you don't know the depth and the power of the grace of God. That if your sin was in a race with God's grace, God's grace would Usain Bolt your sin every time. And it would leave it behind. That there is no sin too great for the grace of God. There's no abortion too heinous. There's no sexual identification that's too crazy. There's no, I've blown up every relationship I've ever been in. There's no, I've tried to take my own life, Chad. You don't understand. You don't know what I've done. There's none of that. There's no, I've betrayed someone. I'm the scum. There's none of that. Listen, Jesus loves you, and his heart won't stop coming after you. Jesus pursues the runaway. And so maybe you're here tonight, and you don't know this love, and you don't know this God. Cry out to him tonight. And on a certain day, we don't know when, but we know that there was a man named Paul there that shared a similar message to a man named Onesimus. And he said, cry out to this God and he will save you. And Onesimus did. But what happened next with Onesimus probably had his stomach churning a little bit. If you're taking notes, write this spiritual truth number two down, that Jesus propels the runaway. Jesus propels the runaway. We don't know exactly when it happened, but there was some dialogue between Onesimus and Paul. And, and Onesimus is like, man, God's, he saved my life. He's changed my heart, Paul. And Paul's like, man, praise God. I'm so happy for you. And Paul was like, you know what, Onesimus, I was praying for you the other day. And I was thinking, Onesimus, you should go back home. And Onesimus is like, say what? <laughs> Paul, remember, I stole from Philemon. Like I took his money. 
And Paul, I don't know if you know this or not. I know you're getting a little old, but I don't know if you know this. But the most crucifixions that take place in the Roman Empire are for people that have done what I've done. For slaves, for, for bond servants that have left their masters. And so if I go home, Philemon would be expected to be like, okay, Onesimus is here, guards, crucifixion. And so Paul, like, seriously, man, I just think it'd be better, you know, if I just stay here. You're like, you know, and I'll help you out. Paul, Paul, man, I'll write your letters, man. I'll do, I'll, I got you. Paul's like, man, that ain't what God wants. And so Jesus begins to propel the runaway. And we see in uh, Colossians 4, 8, and 9 that Paul tells us that he's, he's sending Onesimus back to Colossae. And so he, he has told Onesimus, like, you've got to go back. He's saying, listen, Onesimus, Jesus pursued you. Here in Rome, he saved you. This isn't an accident. He's doing something in your life that Jesus pursued you, Onesimus, the runaway. And he's pursued you so that he can propel you to live his way. See, God saves us so he can send us to do something. God, he, he captures us so that he can change us. That God wants to do something profound, not just at salvation, that's the starting point. But he wants you to run a race, and he wants you to do some things. And so Paul says, look, I need you to go back, but I'm going to send you with the letter. And so maybe he said to Tychicus, hey, here's the letter to the, Eph the Ephesians, here's the letter to the Colossians, here's the letter to the Laodiceans, and, and, but, but Onesimus, here's the letter to Philemon. And Onesimus was probably like, say, man, What'd you write? Like, can we just, can we talk about this for a second? Paul's like, I got you, bro. Let me, let me tell you. And so we have this little letter called Philemon. It's one of the shortest books in the New Testament. If you want to slay a book of the Bible this week and be like, yeah, knock the book of the Bible down, go Philemon. It's only like 20-something verses. It's a good one. Then they go Jude and then Third John. And you'd be like, three books of the Bible in a week. Holla at your boy, all right? Turning over a new leaf. And so he tells Onesimus, hey, take this letter. And I can just imagine once Onesimus heard these words, and I'm going to read you a few of them, he was like, all right, I'm going to trust you. Paul. And so here's what we find, some words from Paul in the letter to Philemon. The person who would have turned Onesimus over to the authorities to be crucified. Here's what he says, Philemon verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, this letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus. And from our brother Timothy, I'm writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker. Remember, Paul had met Philemon in Ephesus back in the day before the church started in Colossae. That all rhymed. All right. Anyway, verse 2. And to our sister, Aphia, and to our fellow soldier, Archippus, and to the church that meets in your house. So again, Philemon is housing the church of Colossae. Verse 9. I prefer simply to ask you, consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child. Notice how he speaks about Onesimus. He says, I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past, but now he is very useful to both of us. It, it, verse 15, it seems that you lost On Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. I love Paul's view. Like Paul's reminding Philemon, he's like, look, I know that there was some shady dealing with Onesimus back in the day, all right, but the brother's changed, okay, and so and I've heard about for him. And, and so listen, Paul is reminding Philemon to have an eternal perspective in this conflict that's taking place. And he says, look, I know that you lost him for a little while, but that was all on purpose. God was at work, and I'm sending him back so that you can have him forever. Verse 16, he's no longer like a slave to you. He's more 
than a slave, for he is your beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. I love how Paul is elevating Onesimus. Verse 17, so if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Paul's saying, treat him as you would treat me, the God that led you to Christ, Philemon. Verse 18, if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. That Paul is being so thorough. And then in verse 19, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. And I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. And so Onesimus is like, all right, I'm going to go back. So that guy, Terry, that had invited me to that Bible study that I was telling you about when I was in high school, and I, you know, I kind of like, you know, I used every stall tactic I could think of, but eventually I said yes, and he kept pursuing me. Well, God began to use this man to propel me to live a different way. And so Terry, he began to invest the word of God into my life. And a few weeks ago, we talked about forgiveness. Well, Terry was the man that gave me the word of God that helped me forgive my father. That he, he helped heal one of the most fragmented and fractured relationships in my life. And then he continued to encourage me to do hard things. Like one of the things that he encouraged me to do is he encouraged me to consider going on staff at a church. And I would have never thought that I was qualified for that because, listen, guys like me, we, we don't go on staff at churches. He said, look, there's this, um, there's this middle school intern position this summer, and I think you would be a great guy. And a lot of you would think, no, 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 that's like purgatory or like a punishment or something like that. Uh, but I was, I, was, I was like, you think I would be a great guy? And he's like, yeah, I believe in you. See, I don't come from a pedigree of pastors. I'm a son of an alcoholic. He was a roughneck. He traveled sh shipyards and, and worked in oil fields all over the world and I was taught four-letter words that weren't really appropriate in church. They weren't like love, you know, things like that. My dad left when I was 12, and I was pretty much on my own starting about the age 16, living in a party house, exposed to things that a lot of people live for, but not pastor material, I promise you that. But this guy, look, he said, he said, hey, 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 hey I've, and I know you don't know the student pastor that would be hiring you, but I've already talked to him. And I said, you're going to be the man for the job. And I vouched for him, and I said, listen, you can trust me because, you know, like I'm a, I'm a, a God-fearing man. This guy is going to be good. And so he spoke on my behalf, and he propelled me to go into ministry. And it's changed my life forever. That this man, Terry, he became to me like a father. He was my Paul. I was his Onesimus. And he encouraged me to do the hard things. But what is the hard thing that God is asking you to do? What, what is the hard thing that God is asking you to do? What is that thing that if you know Jesus and he is propelling you towards something, but you've been hesitant because you don't believe that, that you're the man or that you're the woman for the job. Maybe you could think of it this way. Maybe you say this, people like me never, and then you fill in the blank. People like me, man, we, we never forgive our enemies. That's not how I grew up. That's not how we rolled in my neck of the woods or on my block. People like me, um, Chad, you don't understand. People like me, we don't serve in church, okay? Uh, you see these tattoos? Let me interpret these for you, Okay. Chad, you don't know, man. I mean, pe people like me, we don't talk to other people about Jesus. Like, who am I to try to tell somebody how to live their life? That's not what we're asking you. We're telling you about the person that has life. 
See, people like me, Chad, we, we don't really reconcile with our moms. We don't really reconcile with our dads. People like me, we don't get in community because I don't, you know, I ain't trying to be in a circle and talk about, you know, my, the areas of my life that need to change. That's not, people like me, Chad, we don't sign up for things like unashamed. People like me, we don't do these things. What hard thing is God asking you to do that you're hesitating on? What thing is Jesus propelling you to do that you're being hesitant about? G.K. Chesterton, a great theologian, he said this, The Christian ideal has not been tried and found lacking. It has been found difficult and left untried. Let me read that again. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found lacking. It has been found difficult and left untried. Jesus made it very clear, whoever wants to be my disciple, my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What is the hard thing that God is asking you to do? Paul asked Onesimus to do a hard thing that day. He said, I need you to go back to Colossae and seek to reconcile with the man that you abandoned and betrayed in your past. Again, Jesus catches us to change us. He saves us to send us. He pursues us so he can propel us. See, the hard thing that God may be asking you to do, listen, may be the start of his greatest work in you. The hard thing that God may be asking you to do, I need you to go have that difficult conversation. I need you to go talk to those people. I need you to forgive this person. I need you to break up with him. I need you to break up with her. I need you to put the crack down. I need you to put the porn away. I need you to stop being so anxious about everything. I need you to start some things that are going to blossom you. I need you to do a a hard thing. And the hard thing that God may be asking you to do may be the start of his greatest work in you. Jesus pursued the runaway slave Onesimus so that he could capture him and save his soul. And then he propelled him to go do a hard thing so ultimately he could promote his plan through Onesimus. Point number three, if you're taking notes tonight, and finally, Jesus promotes the runaway. Jesus promotes the runaway. This story is amazing, y'all. And there's no telling what God just might do through you. You have no idea the plans he has for you. There's no telling what he might do through you. There's no telling what's at stake here tonight with what you do with this word and what you do with the seed that the Holy Spirit is planting inside of you. And we see that through this man, Onesimus. Church history tells us that Philemon, he hears from Paul. He gets the letter and he receives Onesimus. He forgives Onesimus. Onesimus and Philemon and Epaphras and Archippus and Nymph, I mean, they all go to church together. They begin to continue to follow the Lord. But about seven years after this letter is received, there's this devastating earthquake that takes place in Colossae. It decimates the city so much so it's, I don't think it's ever been rebuilt to this day. And so what happens when a city is decimated and you're still alive, you go, see, you go seek to live somewhere else. And if you're in Colossae, which is pretty close to Ephesus, which is the San Diego of the day, let's move to Ephesus for real, you know what I'm saying? And so what happens is Onesimus, he replants to Ephesus and he starts living that beach life, you know. I mean, it's awesome, perfect all the time in Ephesus. Now Ephesus, according to scholars, was the most important church in the ancient world. 
after Rome had decimated the church in Jerusalem when they ransacked Jerusalem in about 70 AD, the church in Ephesus became, one, I guess, the most prominent church in the Roman Empire. And so Onesimus joins this church. Now, I would have joined this church too because the pastor at this church was a pretty big deal. It was this guy named John, i.e. the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the book of Revelation. Okay, this John, the John that was like the beloved disciple of Jesus. Okay, John, like the only disciple that, that was with Jesus all the way to the end. Okay, that John, the, the apostle, capital A, apostle John, he was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Well, if you don't know John, he kind of came into some bad luck um, because he was preaching the gospel and ultimately he was exiled on an island called Patmos. That's where we get the book of Revelation. Well, the next uh, pastor that they nominate to be the pastor at the church at Ephesus, the most prominent church in the Roman Empire, is, is, you know, everyone should have predicted this. I know what you're thinking. Timothy, he's the prodigy of the Apostle Paul, i.e. 1st, 2nd Timothy are letters written to Timothy. And he becomes the pastor of this church in Ephesus. And everyone would predict that. Timothy, has been, he's got great mom that, that raised him up in the Lord. And he's been following Jesus for a while. And Paul was his boy, his, his mentor. And so, yeah, that makes sense. Well, in about 110 AD, Timothy was killed by a mob in the streets of Ephesus. So now they don't have a pastor. And they begin to look around, and the pastor that they selected was a man from Colossae who was a runaway. And the pastor that they moved, that they nominated for the greatest church in the Roman Empire, the church in Ephesus, was a man named Onesimus. This convicted criminal, runaway slave, a rebel who had turned his back on those who cared for him is now the pastor of the biggest, most important church in the known world. And Jesus promoted his plan through the obedience of Onesimus. And Onesimus would have forsaken it all if he didn't do the hard thing. Onesimus would have forsaken all of the life change that he got to be a part of if he didn't follow Jesus in reconciling with Philemon. And Onesimus became the pastor of this church, and God used all of his story to stand on a stage like this and tell people about a God that loves them, a God that has a plan for their life. That Onesimus' pain became his greatest platform. That Onesimus was used by God. God looked at Onesimus in his mess, and he looks at you in your mess, and he doesn't see your mess. He sees a missionary. That if we could get the vision of God tonight, he looks at runaways, and he says, I can redeem them, and I can call them. That God pursues those furthest from himself so that he can propel them to do hard things and promote his plan through them. And this is what Jesus does. And this is what Jesus is doing. I think of so many men and women in this room tonight. I think of a man named Nick who was hooked on weed and hooked on alcohol, but God didn't see that as something that was an obstacle, but he pursued Nick in spite of those things. Nick surrendered his life over to Jesus, and then Nick was propelled by the Holy Spirit to begin to serve, and he's been serving you this entire year. I think of a, a lady named Katie who was so marked by anger And she was so apathetic. She knew the things of God. She knew what God had expected of her, but she wasn't doing anything with it. 
And the Holy Spirit began to propel her. He pursued her past those things. He said, I've got a plan for your life, girl. I want to do some things through you. I don't want you to waste this single of season, I mean, this season of singleness. I want you to leverage this season of singleness for my glory. And she's been serving you this entire year. I think of a man named Christian who thought it was all about being a good person and thought it was all about following the right rules, but he realized I can't follow the rules good enough to earn God's favor. And God pushed through those ideas of I can be good enough, I don't need you, God. And he pursued this man. This man surrendered his life over to Jesus less than a year ago. He's been getting discipled and the Holy Spirit's been propelling him to serve and to lead in our student ministry, go to camps and to give his life away. I think of a lady named Deja who was gripped by anxiety, gripped by fear, but Jesus didn't see those things as obstacles, but he pursued through those things. He didn't see her mess and say, I don't want none of that. He saw a missionary, and she's been serving you tonight because she responded to the gospel, and she responded to the Holy Spirit's prompting in her life. This is what Jesus does, and this is what Jesus is doing. Ignatius, one of the church fathers, he wrote a letter, an epistle to the church at Ephesus, in 111 AD, you can Google it and read the whole thing if you would like, but here's an excerpt from it. He says, I received, therefore, your whole multitude in the name of God through Onesimus. And here's how he described Onesimus, a man of inexpressible love. And your bishop, that's an old word for, or a different word for pastor. He says, a man of inexpressible love and your pastor in the flesh, whom I pray you by Jesus Christ to love that you would all seek to be like him. Ignatius says, I see some amazing things in this man Onesimus, and you should model the way that he follows Jesus. And he says, and blessed be he, he who has granted unto you being worthy to obtain such an excellent pastor. The runaway slave, the fugitive that had stolen, that had embezzled, that had, had, had robbed any chance for a good life, was impacted and intersected by the God of the universe. Jesus pursued this runaway named Onesimus. Then he propelled Onesimus to go and reconcile with Philemon. And then he began to promote his work through this man named Onesimus. You have no idea the story that God wants to write for you. Onesimus' name means profitable or useful. Onesimus would have never been useful if Jesus didn't pursue him, propel him, and promote him. And the story of Onesimus is the story of a man named Useful, who was useless until he met Jesus. Then the man named Useful, who was useless, God used to impact the world. That man, Terry, that invited me to that Bible study when I was in high school, he believed in me. He said, I can see that you can do ministry. He invested the word of God in my life. He taught me how to follow Jesus. And he also had a daughter named Chelsea. And he's become like a father to me. And listen, because of that intersection, because I said yes to something that was a little bit uncomfortable and it was a little bit too much Jesus at the time, this man has become a cog in the wheel of so many stories of life change. And I would have forsaken it all if I did not respond to the invitation to change my direction.
And I would have been in my 30s chasing money. Going to church as a lukewarm Christian, which isn't a Christian at all. Living for the temporary things, trying to get a bigger house and a better car when I got more money. But because I said yes to a hard thing, I stand here today with the opportunity to be a part of the greatest story God is unfolding called the gospel. You have no idea the story God wants to write for you. There's two types of people in the room tonight. There are those who are running away from God. I don't have to stand up here and try to convince you of, of your need for God, you know. And maybe you have this thought that, that, that I, I'm too far removed from the grace of God. You're not. Paul was a murderer of Christians. Onesimus embezzled in his corporation. You're not near that bad. And God wants to break into your life. He wants you to know that he loves you so much so that he sent his son Jesus to live a sinless life, a perfect life, a life that you could never live, to walk this earth for 33 years and then to die a sinner's death on a cross so that you would know the depth and the greatness and the breadth of God's love for you. And then three days later, God would call his son from the grave so that you would know that this God is worth your attention, worth your life, worth you listening to, and he has power to conquer the grave. And he has power over your sin. And if you're running away from God, I invite you just to allow him to embrace you. Here in a second, we're gonna sing a song and then we're gonna have a time of response. You come grab one of these men and women by hand and say, I need to start a relationship with Jesus. There's others of you who know Jesus, but he's propelling you to do a hard thing. And for some reason you're reluctant because you, you don't want to hurt his feelings or you don't want to break her heart or you just, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to like, you know, have to have a flip phone and get rid of this thing because it's causing so much destruction in your life. Or you don't want to have to say no to that group of people or you don't want to have to change some things or you don't want to, you, don't, you know, you don't want to be like in church all the time. And God is asking you to do a hard thing. And you just don't know the future or the story God wants to write in your life. And you just may be sacrificing the greatest excursion and adventure that he wants you to be a part of. Because you're afraid to do a hard thing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for my friends tonight. God, I thank you that you saved me. God, I, I was hopelessly lost more than I wanted to admit. I'm the chief of sinners and you saved me. Therefore, I believe you can save anybody. And so if there's someone here that is not in a right relationship with you tonight, I pray, God, that tonight would be the night that they would simply say yes to you. That you would pursue them and they would say, Lord, I need you every hour. I need you.
would simply say yes and come as they are. No prerequisites to the gospel. Thank you, Father. For my other friends that are struggling with doing a hard thing, God, I pray that they would simply change their direction. You would change their paradigm. And you would begin to invite them into the greatest adventure, to be a part of the greatest story. And they would simply say yes to you and take their next step tonight for your glory and for their joy and the world's good. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.